laugh at this next part. In a world of political correctness and cancel culture, two comedians have risen up to prove that with the right angle, anything can be funny. This is You Can't Laugh at That. Who writes these? Who huh? should have this person locked up and looked at? Live from Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's Steve Mers and David Horning on this week's episode. I say embrace your mistakes that you've made in the past, and that's the only way that you'll, you're going to get past your mistakes and do better in the future is not by, you know, like denying or, or hiding or running from your past and the past mistakes that you've made, but instead, you know, embrace those mistakes and then use them as an example to other people of like, you know, what you, what you shouldn't do and what you, what you need to be careful of and be honest about it and uh, move forward and become a better person. Mm-hmm. It can be, it can be material. <laughs> Can't get enough of You Can't Laugh at That? Check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod. And when you become a patron, you'll get exclusive access to deleted footage from every episode. You'll be the talk of the town. Your friends will think you're the coolest person ever. Patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod. Find all sorts of new reasons to laugh at your friends for not being as cool as you. Welcome to You Can't Laugh at That, the podcast where we take topics you can't laugh at and we find ways to laugh at them in the never-ending quest to prove that anything can be funny. Today, Steve Mers is back and better than ever, uh, although he might have COVID. What's up, Steve? uh, My temperature. (laughs) (laughs) With us today is our guest, is is Cincinnati-based comedian. Uh, He is from Canada originally and has performed at all kinds of comedy festivals, Limestone Comedy Festival, Gilda's Laugh Fest, Laughing Skull Comedy Festival. He's opened for Nikki Glazer and Burt Kreischer and Dave Chappelle. He is on Bob and Tom quite a bit, and he just released an album called Dumber Than a Fish, where you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Apple Music. Welcome to the podcast, Gabe. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course. And uh, he actually has COVID. So, yes, I'm I'm in the middle. I'm in day five or six of COVID right now. So, yay. Yeah, he's he's actually on a ventilator as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) Just proving I'm more American than Canadian right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is this is like the three degrees of COVID has had it, might have it, definitely has it. Definitely has it. (laughs) <laughs> that's 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 america right now you're one of those three people um so <laughs> times are great um and and all. today we're going to talk about even better times we're going to talk about <laughs> gabe's bit about getting arrested and uh kind of find the funny in that which most people who get arrested while they're getting arrested aren't like hey this is hilarious so uh, we'll, we'll unpeel that onion and, uh, and go from there. Uh, Gabe, we're just going to dive right into your bit. If you want to introduce the clip. All right. This is, uh, this is a DUI story about getting arrested. Um, 
for drinking and driving, which is a great joke to tell to a bunch of people that are about to drink and drive before they go home, right? Uh, but it's got a it's got a it's got a good ending because uh, I don't know I don't I don't know if it has a good ending or if it has a good moral to it. But don't drink and drive is basically the the moral of this joke. You don't drink and drive. This uh, this podcast episode is brought to you by Dare, and uh... <laughs> I got a DUI when I was uh, in my early twenties. Worst possible place. I was at a sobriety checkpoint, and I uh, did the worst thing you could do at a sobriety check. I passed out at the sobriety check. <laughs> you haven't been to one. That's the worst start you could possibly have. I'm sitting my I'm sitting in my car taking a nap on my steering wheel, right? Officer comes up, knocks on my window. I'm like, two drinks. And I'm ready with my... Got my story locked and loaded. That's when he asked me. He said, sir, do you know why I'm talking here tonight? And I was like, sobriety check. You need me to get out, walk in a straight line? I can do it. And that's when he told me, no. Actually, me and my partner had this guy pulled over on the side of the road. And you pulled up behind us. <laughs> That was when I realized I just made my own sobriety check. <laughs> that is a DIY DUI right there. <laughs> my least favorite part of the arrest process is when they fingerprint you. If you haven't been arrested before, you don't know what I'm talking about. This is like, it's not what you see in the movies. They don't have some like high-tech scanner when you walk into the precinct and you're like, beep, boop, bop, bop. No, what happens is you go into this police station and there's just a cop that's been waiting there in front of an ink pad like all day long <laughs> drinking Red Bull since 8 a.m., right? He's like all jacked up. He's like, I'm the fingy cop. Come on. <laughs> he grabs your finger. He rolls your finger on this ink pad so hard. You can feel the aggression from his childhood <laughs> coming out as he's rolling your He's like, my daddy never hugged me when I was little. <laughs> I always wanted to be a pro wrestler. I can't maintain eye contact during intercourse. <laughs> like, oh, all right. TMI on that third one. I like telling. I like telling that joke. Just like a lot of these jokes, so there's muscle memory involved with comedy. Sometimes. Sometimes you're at a comedy show, you're at a, at a concert, and you hear that song, and that song will come, it'll pop back into your head if you're in the right situation. It's the same thing with comedy, right? Say someone from this room gets arrested a couple months in the future, you're blackout drunk, you don't remember anything, all of a sudden that cop squeezes the shit out of your finger, rolls it on that ink pad, you wake up, start cracking up, thinking about this. And that cop's like, what's so funny down there? And you're like, you can't look your lover in the eye. <laughs> All right. Just have a moment with a man in uniform where he's like, it's a power thing. <laughs> you can't look your lover in the <laughs> eye. That's so funny, man. All right. <clears throat> so take us through the conception of that bit. Uh, starting with the the sobriety checkpoint. The sobriety checkpoint joke is like kind of, I, I've been doing, I live in Cincinnati now. I started out in St. Louis, Missouri. That's where I'm originally from. I've been doing that joke for at least 15 years, probably. It's like one of my favorite jokes and 
one of one of my better jokes just because it's kind of the classic switch like where you you think it's going one way and then it totally diverts to a different direction so you take the audience kind of on a ride from thinking that you're passed out at a sobriety checkpoint to actually you just pulled up behind a cop because you're so drunk that you thought the lights were a sobriety checkpoint and you pulled in behind them so that story did not happen to me. It's not a true life story. Um, it was, it, and it's, it is a true life story of like a former roommate of mine had that happened to him where he pulled up behind a cop and like fell asleep behind the cop. And um, this was like probably this, the story was well before I was even doing stand up. So it was probably like before 2001, pre 9-11. Uh, that like, you know, when DUIs, they're like, well, yeah, we'll walk it off, go home. Because the story was that it was my, my old roommate, he, he pulled up behind this cop and they, they found him drunk. And then, but then he was right in front of his house. So they like, let him go. They didn't even give him a DUI in that situation. Hmm. But I just remember hearing that, that story and thinking like, like that's, and then I just wrote that joke from it was the, uh, the idea that you pull up behind a, a a bunch of lights and then you know switch and it's oh you're you're under arrest so that's where that sto- that's where that uh, story comes from and then it's changed um, it's changed a little bit as you as you go throughout the years and you're doing a joke over and over again you might add some stuff take some stuff away I know whenever I when I hear that two drinks part it's like I've had comics tell me like. Uh, a friend of mine in this comic was like, don't do that two drinks. That's just so it's like, everybody says two drinks. It's like, it's too hacky. It's, it's like everybody, but then I'm like, that's kind of why it is hacky because that's what, that's what you say when you get pulled over, you say the hackiest shit ever is that like, yeah, you yeah. officer. Like, why wouldn't you say one? It's like, sounds so much better than two, but two sounds like you had a bunch, but you're, so someone, I remember someone telling me to like take that out there. And as I'm listening to it, I'm like, I still, when I'm listening to it, I'm like, ah, that comment's probably right. I should have taken that. <laughs> um, hmm. But, uh, and then the line at the end, the DIY DUI part was given to me by another uh, comedian friend of mine, John Shrek, who lives or who's from here in Cincinnati, moved to Atlanta just a few months ago, actually. Um, and he gave me that line and it's, it really like, it, a lot of my, a lot of my jokes um, are have either 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 a tag or a line or something that another comedian gave me, and it's not like it's 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 just like a constructive thing comedians do after a show. Like sometimes you come up and you give someone a tag or you get a tag, and you're like you're like ah thanks, and you you're like I'm never going to use that, but I appreciate I appreciate you thinking of me, you know. Yeah. But. Um, but I always remember every joke like that has a tag that like really works. Same thing with that DIY D, DUI uh, joke. John Shrek gave that to me and I've used it so many times. Even one time we were both in a, uh, we were both in a comedy contest and we're competing against each other. And I did the, <laughs> I did the sobriety check uh, joke and then I did DIY DUI. I got a huge laugh and I like look over at him and I give him like a little fake gun. Like, thank you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I, as I moved on in the competition and he didn't. It was, oh. <laughs> it, was it was joyous. No, it was, it was, it was pretty rude probably. Um, 
<laughs> but but a lot I, and honestly um when you when i got to the point of making the album there's so many different lines that even the line dumber than a fish was uh it's a part of one of my first jokes even the line, even what i named my album after is a tag that another comedian gave me it was like man did i write any of my own stuff you know but, <laughs> but uh but it's all it's also like knowing that appreciating that and knowing that and knowing that uh, that even though stand-up comedy is an individualistic sport it's or sport or like activity or you know it's like very very by yourself there's it's it's not and there's a lot of um groups and and different people that help you along the way and help in different ways and there's people that you know don't care about you or don't help you at all or whatever but that's fine too but uh but there's so much uh, so much of that at least in this album and in in that joke in particular that i have to uh acknowledge john shrek's killer line diy dui on in that because uh it's just alliteration it's so uh it's so good when you can come up with something that that rolls off the tongue that well and then hits the person's ear in a way that they're like, ah, oh, that like puts it all together, puts a little bow on everything. So really thankful for that, that line from John. And, uh, but that, uh, that was in my early twenties, I was drinking and driving quite a bit. I was getting arrested for it. I was, uh, making jokes about it on stage. Still, and I'm still making jokes, but I always try to, um, I always try to make it where it's not like, you know, it's okay to drink and drive. Maybe if enough, if I say afterwards, I'm like, yeah, no, don't drink and drive. If you're get someone to get an Uber or yeah, I would say that often afterwards. I'd be like, cause I just don't like, it's one thing to have like a great joke about drinking and driving, but then you, you say it 50, a hundred, 150 times. And you're like, am I perpetuating this idea that drinking and driving is okay? Like, you know, like it's just because it's a good switcheroo doesn't mean I should be telling people to go drink and drive. Yeah. I'm researching my jokes. <laughs> and I did have, I was, uh, I was in South Carolina, Myrtle beach, South Carolina with Garrett Elzinga, who's from uh, Michigan. Great comic. We were co-headlining the uh, Myrtle beach comedy club. And after the show, he doesn't drink at all. And after the show, I had, I think I only had literally like two drinks that night. So I wasn't, I was fine. We were driving home. And when we were driving home, I was like, um, he was like, do you want me to drive? And I'm like, oh, I only had, I only had a few drinks. I'm fine. And then we got pulled over by a, a sobriety checkpoint that night after I'd been doing that joke and I like look over at them as they're walking up to the door I'm like, or the window. I'm like, man, I should have had you fucking drive, but I wasn't, I wasn't drunk and I was fine. I was just cause I had a few, I did have a few drinks, but uh, there's another one of like art almost coming back to fucking kick you in the ass right there. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Does art imitate life or. Does yeah, exactly. Life I'm imitate like, art. I, I think I get, I, I deserve this. I deserve it. <laughs> Yeah, it's just karma oh. knocking on your window. Yeah, karma and asking me uh, how many drinks I had, and I yeah. literally, I literally was like two, two. <laughs> so it's not hack. <laughs> it's not hack. It's it's right on. It's, it's I should have a handful of DUIs. I'm very lucky. Oh, oh for sure. Uh, <laughs> it's like ooh, there was yeah, a wake up call on St. Patrick's Day one year, but yeah. Sorry, go ahead. 
Well, the ones that I really did have too, like when I did actually, I, I have, uh, I have three DUIs total and that's, that's a lot, but I got my first one when I was 19 years old. I wasn't even 21 and I got a DUI. I was like starting early and then yeah. I got a second one and that one, I wasn't even drunk. I just took off from like, you know, when you're like watching the red light turn and it, and then you like go, but it doesn't yeah. turn. And then, you, so I like went halfway into the intersection yeah. stop and the police like pulled me over and I, I did have something to drink, but I, I, I remember I was on my way to go drink. So I was like telling the officers, I'm like, I'm not even drunk yet. I'm, I'm just going to get drunk. Uh, but I still, they don't care about that. I still got a DUI for that. And, uh, uh, it was like a preemptive D, like a minority report. You got intent, yeah. intent to yeah. drink and then drive again. We can tell. We can tell you're going to be. We we saved a bunch of lives later on tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Pre-cag. <laughs> oh man, those guys they messed with me, and I had a mint in my mouth. I remember, and they're like, "Do you have a mint in your mouth? Spit that mint out!" And I was like, "What's what's illegal about having a mint in your mouth?" Uh, right. about? Deception. <laughs> and intent then I, to deceive. Intent to deceive the officers. Why yeah. do you have all those pennies in your mouth, man? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that's good. Um, mouth pennies. I, uh, I yeah, and then the and then the last one, I like really, I was drunk and I deserved it. And I, I think I was sober for, I think three years after that. I I went to AA for a little bit and uh, sobered up and and uh, it was good. It was good because I was doing comedy the whole time, and it's not. Uh, it's not very, it's not very easy to be sober and comic, like freshly sober, you know, like when you get sober, you're doing comedy in bars and everybody's drinking around you. And, but now everybody's sober in, is comic wise. Like all the, you look at all the comics that are successful. You're like sober, sober, sober. They're all, they're all really sober. So like, uh, it's not, it's not, a, it's not out of the norm to be uh, a sober comedian. You can't laugh at that. The joke itself um, the two drinks thing. Yes. I, uh, that I, I enjoyed that part. Um, just because I did that, <laughs> you know, I mean, oh. so that, that was one of those, and it, and it wasn't like the main joke. It was almost like a throwaway line to set up kind of this scene. And I, I feel like it connects with anybody who's gotten pulled over after drinking just cause I mean, it is hack, but if, is it hack if it's reality, <laughs> you know, if, if people actually do it, is that hack? No. And it's also, you're like you said, it's a throwaway line. It's not the basis of the joke. The joke isn't about two drink. It's just a line that people say when they get pulled over and it's, uh, it's, it's memorable. And you know, you know, something is, is relatable or memorable or when it gets that reaction. And I think that's why I kept it in there is because every time I'd say two drinks, it'd get a little laugh, you know, like, because people, there's, there's reality to it. So there's something in there. And that's, that's the main thing about whenever you're deconstructing a joke or why you have this part or why you keep that. And it's really, it's, it's whether you're listening to the audience or not. And if the audience was telling me that that two drinks part isn't funny, then I wouldn't, then I'd throw it away. I'd, I'd cut it. I, it wouldn't be in there because it, it's not relatable, but I do remember it's, it's, it's like you're saying, like we were talking about with the, with the tags, it's just like you take in all this, you take in a lot of advice on everything from all, from any joke. And it usually, it's usually someone you respect, you know, it's not like some crappy comic that's going to be like, you shouldn't say that. That's, that's hack. And be like, yeah, yeah you're, you're yeah. a hack. What are you talking about? 
Yeah, that didn't strike me as hack. I didn't. That didn't cross my mind. So I mean, you know, it's like it's what you would say. You know. Yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, it, you have the the whole script planned out when you get pulled over. It's like, all right, all right. What what am I going to say? What am I going to say? All right, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. And then they roll the window down. You're like two drinks. Like that panic. <laughs> <laughs> that panic. Even even when you're not doing anything wrong and you get pulled over, it's like shit. Am I drunk? Like no, it's two o'clock on a Wednesday. What do you? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just that that panic, and I think it's so funny when you get pulled over and the cops like, oh, you're, you're, you seem a little bit nervous right now." And it's like, "Well, yeah, my future is dependent on what happens next." Like, <laughs> I had that I had that happen recently where I was uh, I have a new car and I didn't know that my lights are not always on. Like, if I have my lights like so my back lights are off, but my front lights are on, so I can't even tell. And then this cop pulls me over coming home from work. So I'm not drunk, but I am scared that I am drunk. Like when he yeah. comes up to the car and I'm yeah. like, and I'm, I'm probably a little high, you know, I'm not, I'm not, not totally sober, but, uh, but I'm like, he's not going to know. He doesn't know or something, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then he just tells me, he's like, yeah, your, your lights are off and in the back. And I was like, Oh, sorry, this is a new car. I think, it, yeah, it looks like they're on daytime running lights. I don't know. You know, I didn't know that means they're off in the back. So thank you officer for telling me that. Can I go now? Yeah. Let me go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. That's something that people, that's a tactic that people don't use. Just be grateful the whole time. It's like, wow, you want me to walk this whole, this whole straight line. Thank you. I haven't, you know, this is, you're doing a great, you're doing a great thing for this neighborhood. Thank you, officer. Like, just throw them off their game. Yeah, there's different things that my friend, one of my friends used to say, like when you get pulled over, always uh, take your, stop your car, turn your car off, pull the keys out and put your keys on your dashboard. Throw your keys out. The <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how I got here. Roll them at the cop. Be like, these are yours. I wasn't even here. You were driving like a Jedi mind trick. Well, it looks like we're throwing away the keys too, son. <laughs> but it ju- he just said like having that having that uh the keys on the dashboard and the car turned off shows like the officer respect respect that you understand that you're in control or he's in control and you're you know you're submission submissing submissive as much as possible and i was like okay so i do that but now there's now i've got like a key fob thing so it doesn't i can just yeah i'm like here you it's up here yeah. Press the button when I leave. I can still start it. Yeah. I always <laughs> yes, sir, no, sir, the cops. Yeah, that's a good one. Too, sir. They, yeah. Yes, yeah. sir, no, sir. But make sure it's a sir. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're drunk and it's a woman. <laughs> What's your gender identity, uh, officer? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure we, we're on the same page here. <laughs> that's be submissive. Be, Was I can't that bad? I can't wait for that to happen in the future where like you have to worry about police officers, gender identity. That's like how far we've gotten. Oh, such progress. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, the, the actual PC the police. police are the <laughs> gender, the police, <laughs> the PC police are the actual police now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, the DIY DUI line too, that, that, that cracked me up. Cause I love wordplay. And uh, I don't know, Steve, uh, has kind of a joke that plays on the uh, the DUI, <laughs> yeah. um, the alliteration yeah. sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I uh, I say my girlfriend uh, got a DUI, 
And then everybody's like, oh, that sucks. And I'm like, no, she didn't get pulled over for driving drunk. Her doctor put her IUD in backwards. It's <laughs> good. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love wordplay like that. And, uh, and honestly, thanks. Uh, thanks to John Shrek, because uh, without him, I probably wouldn't have even asked you to be on the podcast. <laughs> that one joke. <laughs> no. That one joke got, not me. Yeah. It was between you and John. And I decided, you know what, uh, we're, we're going to do, we're going to have Gabe on instead. So no, um, that's funny. And, and just taking tags from other car, accepting tags from other comics, like, you talk about it being a solo endeavor, which like on stage you are by yourself, but it really is the collective. I mean, the better the scene, the more you push yourself, you know, the, the more everybody helps one another out. Like I, I don't understand the comics who are just very about themselves. Like won't, won't take tags, won't give advice. Like to me that, that just worsens the whole, the whole industry in general, just because we're already all facing an uphill battle. So, you know, I mean, I, I think you're right too, especially when you say scene, like it, it really comes into play of like where you're from. Like you break down a comic when you're like, Oh, who are you? Where are you from? And you think about like other comics, you know, from Cleveland or from Cincinnati, you know, and it, it is a big deal to have, uh, to have a good scene and to be able to, to grow and, and, get better because you're doing, you're doing jokes in open mic settings where sometimes the only people at the open mic are other comics, you know, and, and are the, are these jokes when you're doing jokes at, at an open mic like that, are those jokes that are going to work in a, with the general audience, you know, like when you go to a hilarities or improv or whatever, and are, are the, are you going to have, are you going to have that uh, relatability? And sometimes it, sometimes a joke that, you know, you know, difference between jokes that kill and in, in a open mic and then kill in like a real, you know, paid show or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and sometimes, I mean, sometimes you have to have just it, just a different approach, not a whole different set, but just, you know, different people respect different stuff. A lot of, a lot of open mic stuff. You can just do jokes, making fun of jokes, you know, like mm-hmm. inside the inside baseball jokes that are making fun of, of the, the norms or the, or the two drinks or whatever. (laughs) Right. I think, uh, and I think that's a, even that tactic, that kind of, if you're joking about the joke, almost breaking the fourth wall, sometimes that can open up an entire new perspective on your joke too. So there's, you know, there's whenever a comic's like, Oh, I don't want to, you know, perform just in front of other comics. This is a waste of time. Is it though? You know, I mean, you, you have a real opportunity to get a fresh perspective on something that you've been doing in front of live audiences. Um, you need to challenge yourself. Right. And just the, the offering of tags too. I mean, that is, you know, that's something that I'm always open to. I've got, you know, I've had a few tags that were given to me by other comics. Steve, the, the, when I joke about getting COVID, you know, I talk about how my, my body temperature is 104.5, which isn't a body temperature. That's an FM radio station. That was, that was something that, that Steve yeah. offered to me. 104.5, the fever. Yeah. The fever. <laughs> and I use that and it, and it goes great. And, you know, I mean, that's something that you're not going to use. And the same thing, you know, uh, yeah. for me, if I see a comic on stage that that's joking about something that I would never joke about, and I think of something that, 
you know, I'll offer it to them because I'm not going to use it. It's almost yeah. a waste of just like letting it disappear into the ether of my subconscious. Yeah. Like having a writer's room is great yeah. because you know you have the synergy of of you know if you're all going to trade stuff, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's what New York comic, well, you know, a lot of New York comics do is they get together or wherever, and they you know they they trade you know they get their brain power and uh, you know it's better. Laughing. The second part of the joke is about the fingerprinting cop. Um, right. Kind of take us through how that that bit came about. Well, that would be, that was from, I would say, having, I've got this many headshots, or headshots, mugshots. <laughs> headshots. <laughs> <laughs> I get arrested so I get free headshots. It's great. That's, that wasn't even on purpose. I uh, I just honestly messed up and said headshots instead of mugshots. That's funny. But yeah, no, I was. I think I had a joke about how I have six mugshots, and then I would like do jokes. I would I, I would have some jokes about taking the mugshots and how taking the picture is like the fun part of of getting arrested, and the not fun part is the fingerprinting and. It's because every time out of all those six times that I've been arrested, it was always the exact same thing. And this is also, this is, this was a little bit worrisome or I didn't know like if this was going to be like obsolete or like if they still use just like the, your finger and the ink pad, but if they have like a high tech scanner or whatever, like some places, some, someone came up after, after a show one time and they're like, they actually do have that scanner here or something. And I was like, okay, well, uh, I, I haven't heard otherwise from other people. So, so basically it was just that this, this cop would, uh, take your finger and roll not just one, but it would be all of your fingers like so hard. And every time it was just so distinctive about how, painful it was and how into it they were or like how I felt like they were into it mm. and uh, the best part about that joke is having all the police officers come up to me and explain to me why why they do it that way or like why it is why they squeeze so hard it's because usually it's because you're so drunk that we can we, we can't get a good fingerprint unless we just like totally squeeze your finger and do it like that like they just from experience they know like if you do it loosely you're just going to have to do it again so they're just like trained basically in that in that sense to do it very forcefully and very like turn and uh and then but it it really breaks down to me just making fun of cops in general and like how like the idea of like, how, how do you become a cop? And it's because your older brother beat you up too much or something, you know, like it's <laughs> sort of gets into just like the psychology of like who the cop, what, like who the cop is that ends up doing the fingerprint thing. And it usually is from what I've heard from police, it, it usually is the same guy every time. Like he's the guy that, that's in, that does the fingerprint. Like there's one guy that's really good at it. And if he's not there, they're like, Oh crap, I got to do this. And they're not very, they're not very good at it. So, um, and then the, this, the line of, uh, the, you, I can't look, you can't look your lover in the, uh, I can't maintain an erection during or maintain eye contact during intercourse. And I, I made it, 
I honestly, it was probably like a little dirtier when I first made it, but I like changed it to intercourse. So it would be like not as dirty. So when I'm doing like a cleaner show, I'm like, oh, I could still do that joke or whatever. But um, yeah, finding is, it's kind of, uh, I don't think it happened right away. It probably took a few, a few months or, whatever batting around but once i found the three and then the like always wanted to be a pro wrestler i don't know just like always want to be a football player i could have said that or something but mm -hmm. there's a, i'm not a big pro wrestling fan but there's a bunch of uh bunch of comics that love pro wrestling too so that probably has a big reason why that line is in there just like a little little wink to all those comics out there that love their pro wrestling and uh <laughs> And then the and then the the second part of that, which is like kind of the callback part, where I say I talk about like what I love about comedy, and I do this throughout my act. Whenever I'm doing like a half hour or or just like a longer act, I have a few things that I say that I like. Basically, the what I'm trying to do is is I mean this this is an act; these are jokes, but there's a few things that I want you to like take away from the set, and I want you to remember. And the main one is my closer that is, it's about getting arrested. It's about my first arrest when I was in college and uh, it's not on my album because of legal reasons, because of the, the guys, the guy's name that I call out in the, uh, my record label was like, yeah, we can't do that. They're going to sue us. And uh, so it's a, uh, it's a very popular auto parts store that, rhymes with um o'malley's no yeah <laughs> it's not o'malley's it's different than that so it's basically that what that's not even on the album because uh and i knew when i was when i was recording the album i told them i was like okay there's the album and now here's a joke that's not going to be on the album and then i finish it up and usually that's my that's my closer whenever i do and that's a joke that i want it's kind of like a mental I say this name over and over again and I make it stick in your head. And then I sing a little jingle that you hear on the radio all the time. And that makes it reiterates like, Oh, I do know who this guy is. And it's a story about me from college. Um, and it's my first, my first big arrest. So, um, and then my first time getting fingerprinted too, but, but, I, but that idea of the, uh, the idea of, the second part where I'm like, maybe you'll be, you know, you never know. Someone from this room might get arrested in the future and you'll be, you'll be getting your fingerprint and you'll think about this joke. And I, I really like that. And that's like, that's literally like one of the reasons I, I loved doing stand-up comedy and, the, and honestly, like more so than a lot of people get into stand-up to, you know, do whatever, be famous, to be in movies, to do that. I, I really just love the idea uh, there's a few things that I get to tell everybody just like a preacher or something and you get to that stuff will stick in people's heads that's kind of the reason for the the fingerprinting and the second part of that joke that does seem to get a really good laugh too when I call back the, the you can't look your lover in the eyes just like the way you say it it's really it's really fun joke I really like I really like doing that one I don't know. I don't even know if I answered totally what you were looking for with, uh, with the reasoning for the, the fingerprinting, but, but no, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much where it all comes from. It's experience of having those 
those uh, those experiences. And there's another joke that I, I believe it's on the album too, where I say, um, where I ask people in the audience, like round of applause, who's been arrested here before? And it's, it's a weird thing to ask audiences in general, because nobody wants to admit that they've been arrested. And, and maybe you get to this, sometimes you get like, it depends from show to show who like claps when that, and like some people like, you know, they'll, they'll clap and their, their, their wife will look at them like, what, you've been arrested. You know, they, they don't even know. Like, it's like not something that you talk about very regularly about you getting arrested and, and, you know, telling people in public and hey, don't do that. That's not what you do, you know? So, um, that, that joke. And, and then I say on the second part of the joke, I say, okay, now by a round of applause, who, who here met online? And no one claps because no one obviously ever wants to admit that they met online. And, uh, and then I, and then I point that out. I say, see more people willing to admit they've been arrested in public than are willing to admit that they met online. And, uh, and that joke is crazy dangerous or not dangerous. It's just, it's adventure. It's, 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 <laughs> you never know what's going to happen because it could be way more people, uh, have been or admit that they've been arrested than people that have met online. And then one show I did, it was like no one, it was barely anybody that had been arrested and everybody met online. And it was like some meetup group that was there that that's like the theme of the show was like everybody had been oh, had met online. And I didn't, yeah, I didn't even know that. So I, so then you have to like come up with something right there on the fly to make it funny. And I think that's a good it's it's kind of a it's a, it's kind of a crowd work joke you know because you're you're going on the fly every every it, there should be defining points but sometimes they change and then you have to just you have to make something up right there and i like having little exercises like that not, not like too many but like a few jokes like that that'll keep me on my toes and keep me uh, looking to try and make make it funny and it doesn't always work and but you can always just Usually when something like that, you can, you know, you get a, you can easily save that and be like, all right, well that didn't work. And even that gets a laugh, you know? Yeah. So. Right. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel alive taking a risk like that, you know? Cause if you're doing the same set the same way, <laughs> yeah. you get the same results every time. How boring is that? Versus like, mm-hmm. all right, let's, yeah. let's spice it up yeah. a little bit. Let's, let's have the audience choose their own adventure here. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I like that. And, uh, I don't think I could do it like the whole time, but, uh, but it, it is challenging and it's, it's good. You're right. It's uh, it's a good way to spice things up and to keep you, keep you on your toes and keep, keep you feeling alive. Right. You never know so, when you get a, have a good, uh, have a good comeback that stays in your set, you know, the whole time. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I touched on it a little bit, but I don't want to, I want to talk a little bit more about the, getting arrested in college. I got, um, I went away to school in Fulton, Missouri, a place called Westminster college. It was probably 600 kids, very small liberal arts school. Everybody knew each other. It's in a small town and midway through my junior year, I got arrested in, um, in the library when I was studying for finals by the police. And it was for an incident that had happened the year before I guess they were waiting a year or waiting seven or eight months. So I wouldn't know who the undercover agent was that was uh, basically a friend of mine 
had a friend from home and uh, that guy was wearing a wire and uh, neither of them were my friends. That's what I say in my joke. And, uh, but then I got arrested for selling drugs and I did not, I was not a drug dealer. I never, uh, I was a drug dealer though. Like I, I, I could definitely like, I knew the guy that was a drug dealer and I could go to his place and he felt safe, like getting me whatever. So I was definitely a middleman sort of thing, but never made any money off of it was just doing favors for people and got caught up with an undercover sting operation and got arrested. And um, it was in December. I was in the, like I said, I was in the library studying for finals. These police officers came into the library. They were like, are you Gabe Kia? And I was like, uh, yeah. And I went outside and they like, they're like, you might want to sit down. I remember them saying like, you might want to sit down. I'm like, mm, I think you guys scared me enough already. Why don't you just tell me what's going on? And then they told me that I was under arrest for two counts of distribution in a school zone, which is a college, uh, is a school zone basically. And, uh, and then they marched me back down to my apartment or my, I was living in a fraternity house at that time. And I was, they took me into my, into my room searched my whole room. They thought they were going to find like pounds of weed in my closet or something. And they found a Frisbee full of like drug paraphernalia. That was the only thing they found. But, but what had happened was the police had been going around the whole campus and going up to people and being like, are you Gabe Kia? You're under arrest. <laughs> They'd done it to like five people. And <laughs> it shows how horrible uh, they were doing of, of a job they did, especially since they, then they took me, they took me up to my room, and now, by this time, they've been going around campus saying, are you Gabe Key? Are you Gabe Key? Everybody knows I'm getting arrested except for me. All my yeah. fraternity brothers went into my room, and they like there was a big bong that was in there. They took the bong out. They took everything that they could find. They just didn't find that little Frisbee full of paraphernalia. That was uh. one they didn't find. And, uh, and then they took me down to my room. They thought they were going to find a bunch of stuff you know they were like this is it this we got the guy and and it was there was nothing there so they're driving me to uh to the station i, I get i get perp walked i'm like handcuffed being let out of my fraternity house and these two cops have me in the uh they have me in the in the cop car and they are uh they they start trying to make small talk with me to like make me feel better i guess and they're like one of them says, uh, so what are, you, what are you studying up there at the university? And I literally, without just like, without even thinking, I just said sales. <laughs> and that's <laughs> not a major. <laughs> like, I just thought it, it was like a joke. And it made both the police officers laugh right there. And I remember at that moment, uh, Tim Allen's headshot or mugshot, right? Mugshot this time. Yeah. <laughs> popped into my head. I remember <laughs> thinking like, I could be, I could be like a standard comedian, like Tim Allen. That's it. He got arrested for drugs. Right. And maybe I could be the next tool guy or whatever. And, uh, that, that is a big, that's a big, uh, origin story of where, where my standup comedy career started was making those two police officers laugh on the way to them taking me to the, to the station. And then the guy in the station sat me down in a little room and they were, then they're going to, they were telling me, they were like, we're going to give you an undercover agent. And you're going to go to that guy's house that you get the drugs from, and you're going to buy more drugs from him. And then we're going to bust him. We'll get him. And I, I told them, I was like, you guys are idiots. Even if I wanted to do that, which I'm not going to do that, you 
you already went all over campus and arrested five different people thinking they were me. So no one's going to sell me any drugs. You just screwed yourselves and me. Like you're ruining people's lives here. What are you doing? I don't even, I am telling them like, I never even made a dime off of selling drugs. And uh, that is, that's the story of my first big arrest. And um, I do make, I do have a big, big joke about, about that, that I do every, every time, basically every show I do. And it's probably my most memorable joke is uh, my, oh, oh, oh. O'Malley's. No, I'm not going to say the. I'm not going to say the name on any podcast. They're our sponsor, actually. Yeah, they are your sponsor. No, we're we're looking to switch over to Advanced Auto Parts. So uh, any dirt you can get on that that other one. (laughs) Good. No, one of my first times on Bob and Tom. They are a sponsor of Bob and Tom, and the the commercial is playing, and I'm getting all these texts on my. Uh, while I'm on the show in studio and they're like, you would not believe the commercial that's playing right now. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I can't, I can't talk about that. But what basically what a lawyer told me is like, I can go around telling the joke where I tell the truth because it's the truth. There's no, like they can't get me for defamation, but what they can do is they can, they can bog you down with litigation. They can sue you for this and, and like make me make the court, fees be so much that I just have to end up stop. I have to cease and desist because of, uh, but what, what a lawyer said is he's like, you're, you're, you're safe. As long as you don't put it out on, uh, on YouTube, don't put it out on, on, um, on rooftop comedy or on, on anything, unless you're getting something big in response. He's like, the only way I would do it is if you get like the tonight show and they they got you on the tonight show and then you can tell them the story there or whatever but otherwise just don't mention don't mention their name and uh and i do it on stage all the time and he, he said that like other people can film you and put it up on youtube and they you can't do it that you're not responsible for that so as long as you're not filming yourself and putting it up on on some sort of social media where everybody can see it so i can i can keep doing my joke but i tried <laughs> to put it on my album as like a hidden track even and the record label was uh they, they basically sent me an email from their legal department that was like that, that I read. And I was like, yep, this is what my lawyer told me, uh, you know, 10 years ago. He's like, this is, this is the way it is. So. Huh. What so was, guys, I mean, what was it that was it? I mean, it obviously doesn't look good for them. Right. Uh, whatever the, the content of the, uh, the joke is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it makes it makes it, it makes them look like a like a bunch of narcs. So huh. that's that's what. Uh, but yeah, I don't even. <laughs> hey, know. What a weird thing for an auto parts store to, to not want to be known as. Yeah, <laughs> like we we want to we want to be the cool auto parts place, man. You're making us look like. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's. <laughs> uh, I'm a little i. I, I I might be more paranoid than I need to be about it because they might not even know or care or whatever, but. I do know this, uh, this auto parts place is based out of Springfield, Missouri. And I, I do shows all around there and I've had people come up to me that are like, Oh, we know, we know Ryan and we'll, we'll let him know that you're doing this joke. And I was like, please do please let him know because he knows, he knows the situation. He's the, he's basically the guy that he was the impetus of that whole sting operation. He got in trouble. And they, they needed him to take an undercover 
cop with him and bust other people. And I just happened to be one of those schmucks. I was the, I was the idiot that fell for it. So that's why he went to me probably because not because I was a real drug dealer, but because I was, I was gullible enough to do it. (laughs) Right. And sad, but. So did their sting operation end with you pretty much? I mean, you were a dead end, obviously. Yeah, no, they got another, they got this other guy um, that was like for real. He was on the football team and he was big into, uh, uh, and I never had any relationship with him. And that's who I think they were like targeting, but he got smart to them when they were, they were trying to uh, purchase drugs from him and he refused the money. So he, uh, he also like, yeah, he, he, he got, I think he got away with, or got out of it, but maybe he went to, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know the situation with him, but I wasn't the end all be all target. I was just a casualty. Mm. Someone that got caught up in the wake. Got it. So that was your first time getting arrested. Like what else? I mean, are there any other, any of your other five that were memorable that, that are not necessarily joke worthy, but there's, there's something there out of the ordinary. I, I, I have done a joke where I just, when I'm set, when you say like six on stage, like that sounds scary. And it sounds like that's like, and I think I said to somebody, I was like, Oh, I've never, uh, I've never heard anybody, never like any abuse or assault or anything. I'm only, only drugs and alcohol, only trying to hurt this guy, you know, like, so that's, that's all, that's where all my, all my arrests all go around drugs and alcohol before I was, before I was 25 too, is all in that, that nice little, you know, 19 to 20, 24 year old time period where I was, I was a mess. And uh, now it's, yeah, that's 15 years, 15 years ago. I'm off for the one, the one from college was, was so, was so intense that I was, uh, I was on supervised probation for, for, uh, five years where I'd go in once a month and I'd pee into a cup and have the, have the probation officer, you know, like do the drug test and everything. And I was, that was, that was when it was pretty serious. That was from age. Yeah, that was, and I was still getting, I was still getting arrested while that was going on. Like who kind of an idiot, what an idiot, <laughs> even in, even in supervised probation, he's still getting arrested. Man, I remember my first, I, I had one of my, it was my first meeting with this probation officer. She was a new one. And, uh, and it was also the night before was my first time on stage. It was a Tuesday night open mic at the St. Louis funny bone. And I, uh, I got wasted at the open mic because it was my first time on stage. I probably had like three or four drinks before. And then I had a great set and I partied with all the, like, I, it was a bringer show. So like 30 people in the crowd were there to see me, you know, and we partied afterwards. We went to another bar, everybody's celebrating. They're like, Gabe, yeah, you did it. And then the next morning I had to go to see my probation officer, this new one for the first time. And I walked in and she was like, what, are you kidding me? You smell like alcohol, right? I can I can smell it coming out of your pores. Are you, this is your first meeting? Get out of here, get out. And she like kicked me out of her office right away and was like, come back in a week. And if you smell like alcohol again, and she gave me like a second chance, but 
I just remember being like, oh, it was, I was so devastated. I was like, oh my gosh, how can I let this happen? But yeah, I just, uh, what do you, what do you do when it's your first time on stage? Yeah. Did <laughs> you say that? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm going to be famous lady. Come on. <laughs> this is part of my journey. This is part um, of my journey. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the thing going back to the bit, the thing that I really like about what you do is you create a character, the, the fingerprint cop. Um, and the very first thing you do is, and, and you can butt in at any point and tell me if I'm wrong, but from my, from my perspective, um, you setting him up as the person who's been in front of this ink pad all day long. He's been drinking Red Bull since 8 a.m. That almost creates a picture in my mind of who this person is without you describing like what they look like or how long they've been on the job or whatever. Like that's, it's a very sneaky way to, to create a mental picture in people's head um, without doing it. So I think that's a great tool to use. That's great. And it always, it doesn't always work out that way. I'm, I'm listening to that version that, that the, the version from the album, which is a really good one. Like I don't always say the thingy cop, like that mm. got a big laugh. And I'm like, man, why don't I say that more often? I think I just said that like that time when I did it or something. And yeah. And uh, it's sometimes, sometimes you'll add that. Sometimes you'll add the Red Bull or drinking coffee. I think I said coffee and Red Bull for a while, like two, like who's drinking yeah. coffee and Red Bull. You know, like, but it does, I think every time uh, you do a joke, it changes a little bit slightly, but you want to, you want to paint that. Yeah. What you're trying to do is just paint that picture of what, what that person might be, what, what, what they look like or what they might, what kind of person they might be. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just, I'm picturing like, doesn't have a good relationship with his kids. Like him and his wife are always fighting. He was probably on a bender last night. You know, he's got unkept, like his shirts untucked, pit stains. Like that's that's. I'm I'm picturing uh, who's the dude from NYPD Blue? Um, that dude, but that had left. Oh, Dennis Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Mm-hmm. That's who I that's see. What I'm looking for. Yeah, <laughs> and then. Uh, and then just the line, he rolls your finger so hard you can feel the aggression from his childhood. Again, <laughs> that says so much. But then you you go into the power of threes with the, you know, my dad never hugged me. I always wanted to be a pro wrestler, or sometimes a football player, and I can't make any eye contact during intercourse. Like that's, it's the kind of person who probably uses the word intercourse, <laughs> like to his, to his significant other. Did you engage in intercourse? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you engage in intercourse? Like intercourse is purely transactional. Yeah. He talks There's, to his kids when they come home. Were you intercoursing tonight? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Were you underage drinking? Were you participating in illicit activities? <laughs> Anything lewd and lascivious tonight? Yeah. Like this, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then your your whole bit, the call the callback, like your moral of the story, so to speak. Uh, when you, you know, tell them when you compare doing comedy to being at a concert and hearing a song and it elicits a memory or whatever, uh, the next time you're getting arrested, that whole bit to me is almost you giving them the ability to find the funny in it in the moment. Like almost like learn from my story. <laughs> um, 
And that's such a powerful tool to use as a comedian. Like the reason, so I do, I, I speak like I, I speak on like humor theory and using humor in the workplace uh, because I had a very, a very clairvoyant moment at the end of a, a sketch show that I, that I ran in New York that like someone came up to me after the show and she was like, Oh, that was so funny. You know, thanks for doing the show. And then she left and I was like, man, she's going to maybe remember the show for the next couple of hours. She's going to go to bed, wake up tomorrow. Like it never even happened. Like what if I could give people the tools to make themselves laugh or to recall like what happened here. And you do that in this bit. So I was, <laughs> I'm sitting there listening to it like, yeah, yeah. Like people can laugh at this. I often well say, I often say too, like, I don't think I said it in that version, but I'll say like, you might wait, you're going to wake up tomorrow. You won't even remember my name. Like, and which is like a very true thing about comedy is, and I, I might even say it. So they like, think like, I will remember your name, you know, like, but uh, there's, there's a lot of truth to that, that like, especially when you're, and I open for a lot of people. So I'm like, you know, it's, it's like, you're there to see that person and, oh, this person's not bad too, you know? So uh, you kind of are just trying to get your, get your name in there whenever you can or. That's why it's good. That's why it's good to have some sort of merch with your name on it, uh, which is kind of weird. But uh, like, I sell T-shirts, and they, it's like a T-shirt of of me in a in a in a onesie, going like ah, like that, and uh, it doesn't have my name on it. And then I have buttons and magnets that also have that same image on it. And then there's this one that's just my headshot with my name on it. And for some reason, I, or for obviously the reason is because my name's on it. It was like, people want to take that one because they're like, Oh, I want to, I want to remember your, I want to look you up later or something like that. So it's, uh, that's also a good, good thing for comedians. Like, I don't know. I'm not like, get, get a business card, you know, like, but, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it is good to have something afterwards that they can take home to remember your name so they can, they can follow up. You know, or they can throw it on the ground in the parking lot. So when you're walking to your car, you can see it and you go, oh, there's my name right there. Look at that. <laughs> it's everywhere. Yeah. You work your name in there just to. Uh, you find it at a thrift store. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's how you know when you made it, though. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> It's just you've had time for it to come full circle. That's all I mean. <laughs> there was a there's a story I heard about some comic that was selling T-shirts and he was waiting tables and he like went up to one of his tables and was delivering food and all of a sudden he sees like one of his T-shirts. The guy's wearing his T-shirt and he's like, "Oh God!" Full circle right there. Yeah, that's funny. So when you're getting your your finger pressed on onto this this stamp. Um, like when was the moment that you realized this is funny? Ooh, yeah, that's that's a tough one because the, but that's when the performance and the writing kind of comes together, you know. And for me, that's a lot of my process is, and that's why I, st I still do open mics because I need to, I need to have that assurance of like, oh, I think this is funny, but I still don't even know until I do it. It's just like. It's like I said, when I did that show and I've been coming off the lockdown for like three months, like I've got stuff in my head, new stuff, right? That's all my new stuff. And I'm like, I don't know if any of that's funny. 
So am I, am I just going to go out there and do it and just like have the confidence in myself that this is going to be funny? Like usually I need at least a few open mics or, or some, some place to test it out so I can get that assurance from the audience that it is funny. So that's, that's a lot of how I work is, is like getting, getting that feedback from a live general audience that tells me like that. Okay. That is funny. There, there's something there. And, yeah. and, and there's more there. And sometimes uh, when you just get the, the one line about it, it's, it takes, it'll take a lot more time on top of that to, to add on or to, to tag or to, you know, make it, make it a full fledged bit rather than just one line or one idea that like the guy squeezing your finger, you know, squeezing the shit out of your finger is funny, which, which it is because it's uh it is super relatable and it is like, it's something that people definitely have, have the, uh, and people will tell you, people will send you messages. They'll be like, Oh, I was going to get my, my passport and they were fingerprinting me. And all of a sudden he squeezed my finger and I thought about your joke and <laughs> you know, they'll send you, they'll send you a message about some sort of instance like that, where, where your, your joke was, uh, came full circle to them and I made them, made them think about that. You know, that's gotta feel good. Yeah. Yeah. I love that stuff. But when, uh, Someone, oh, someone, it was Alex Schubert, who's a uh, local Cincinnati comedian. He got, he was down during the, uh, during the protests, like in, it was right after George Floyd and people were protesting in this, in the, uh, in the city and he got arrested and he got put into a holding cell with a bunch of other people protesting. And he said, he goes, man, I told your, uh, I told your fingerprinting joke to everybody that was in the holding cell and it crushed. And <laughs> usually someone tells you your joke. You're like, Hey, don't tell my joke. But I was like, that's awesome, Alex. Tell that joke. That's the perfect place. Too. <laughs> right. They all have fingerprinted. So they're all, all like totally relatable to that, to that feeling. So yeah, I remember, I remember him sending me that message from, uh, like probably right when he got out of jail, he's like, oh, I got to tell Gabe, I used to joke in jail. And I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Funny. At the, and like you said, that's the perfect place for it. <laughs> just, just a reminder yeah. that there is some levity here. Uh, Cause when you're getting arrested, it's, you're not like, all right, like we're doing it. Nobody, if anybody gets arrested, they're like, this is the best day of my life. Um, it's like that old so woman who's, material. yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, you see those stories on the news where some like 95 year old woman gets arrested by the police because she wanted, she's always wanted to get arrested. That's a good make a wish. Getting yeah. arrested. Yeah, it really is. The kid wants to like go spray paint something or he's like, yeah. yeah. You can do something illegal. That's fine. You have cancer. <laughs> Steve, have you been arrested? No, no, I haven't. I've had close calls, but I'm very lucky to not have an, a record because I should. I really should. Yeah, I got, I got a lot of felonies. <laughs> you're, you're with a bunch of prudes here. Yeah. All the all the felonies were before I was like 21, before I was like 19 even. So, yeah. So it's like 13 to like 19. I was, yeah, lots of. It's a good way to do it. Get it out of your system, right? Like, exactly. Yeah. That's what I should have done with that DUI when I was 19 or whatever. <laughs> but didn't learn. I mean, you say you, you haven't been since you were, what, 25, right? Yeah, no. So yeah. it's 15 years of not, of, uh, not doing, and it's, 
it's not like I'm not doing anything illegal. I am trying my best. I am. <laughs> I'm out here. I'm doing street art. I'm tagging. I'm doing some, doing a lot of stuff that's just like so dumb that you could easily get arrested for. You make your DUI joke uh, real life. <laughs> yeah. Pull no, up I behind can't. a cop. I got arrested once. I was in college. Um, I had had a few drinks. I mean, it wasn't like crazy. I was the least drunk of my friends. So I drove them all home and uh, I lived with my parents at the time uh, in the suburbs of Akron. And there was a dude in a Ford fusion right outside their driveway. And this is like a dark, like quiet neighborhood. So the fact it's one in the morning and there's a dude in his car outside my house, that's weird. So I just kept driving just to see what would happen. And then he started following me and then I lost him. And then all of a sudden somebody else started following me like really close. So I'm tearing through these residential neighborhoods because I think I'm, I'm getting like chased by some organized crime syndicate or something. That's <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. So I call my buddy. I'm like, Hey, I think some weird's happening. I'm going to come over to your house right now. Like, like he's going to protect me just whatever. And, uh, and then they had the, the cop lights on the, on the dashboard. It was an undercover cop. And apparently there had been some car break-ins in the neighborhood. And so I'm like, well, why would you pull me over if you know I'm, I was literally pulling into my driveway? And they're like, well, why'd you run? I don't know. I thought <laughs> I thought I was being chased. And they're like, well, why wouldn't you call the police? I was like, I don't know, because I've been drinking. <laughs> um, I've been drinking. So... I was lucky because it got it got thrown out because there was no probable cause to pull me over in the first place. So I got a reckless hop. I pleaded down to a reckless hop. The the judge was like, you can go to court and fight it and you would probably win, but you'd end up paying more in court costs than you would if you were to plead down. Um, so that's what happened. But in high, like at the time, it was not funny. I was, I hid it from my parents. I got a lawyer. Um, I blew all my, all my savings uh, from college and, uh, but in hindsight, like the fact that I thought that I was involved in some like underground crime ring in Copley, Ohio, like that. So in hindsight, that's funny. Um, and uh, I was the one trying to make small talk with the cops in the backseat. Oh, that's. <laughs> I was like, no, I, was, I just tried, you know, I drove my friends home. So they're home safe. Like thinking that they'd be like, oh, no, this guy's a good driver when he's drunk. We'll let him go. But to me, the, the funny thing is when people get arrested, immediately they become the victim. And it's like, you know, if you were doing something wrong, like if you weren't doing something wrong, you have a case. But, you know, to me, that victim mentality where it's like, you're picking on me. And for so long, I was like, that cop was such an asshole. It's like, no, he was just doing his job. So, I mean, there's there's yeah. any number of ways to, to find the funny in it. So when you... What, the weird part about how you said you kept it from your parents, isn't, isn't there something that like when you get arrested, like they send a bunch, like there's a bunch of direct mail stuff that comes to your address from lawyers? Yep. You know I was, that? Uh, that yeah, I got to the mailbox every day. <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, because the mail came like mailbox. clockwork around 3 p.m. every day. And there was something like I would actually skip my class to stay home and make sure that I got the mail before anyone else did. That's crazy. Um, That's eventually I told my dad and then I told my mom like a couple of years ago about it. It was not even a big deal, but she's one of those people who would, you know, who that would happen. And she would be like, well, she would never shut up about it. Like 
she'd be like, make sure you don't drink a drive every single conversation. And I had, I'm like, mom, we're just, we're, I'm, we're at church. We're leaving from church, like stuff like that. A Eucharist. Yeah. <laughs> right. You didn't slow down on that blood of Christ. <laughs> Bloodthirsty. <laughs> you crossed the line. But, but the character that, that you create, um, do you, and I don't remember off the top of my head, like if you do that for anyone else, the rest of the, your album, but a good tool to use if you're creating a character from somebody is just to ask yourself the question, well, if they do that, then what else might be true or what else might they do? How, uh, how much of that did you go through as you were putting together? Like, oh, my dad never hugged me. Like I was a pro, I wanted to be a pro wrestler. Is that a tool that you use or have used? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think I'll, I usually like would mine from maybe jokes that I used to have. I used to work in a country club in St. Louis and there was this, this old guy that would get wasted all the time. And I remember I asked, I was like, sir, you gotta, are you going to be okay? Like, do you need a ride home? And he, and then he told me, he was like, my son's a state trooper. And I just, he's, and I just thought that that was like the funniest thing. Like he like had this out because his son's a state trooper. Like if wherever he gets pulled over, he's going to be fine. And I made a joke about how, uh, how that's the best way. That's the best way to live. Right. Is to like have some kids and, and make sure they become cops. So then you can, you can like drink and drive the rest of your life because you got a straight <laughs> Hooper, Hooper, Trooper, Hooper was the guy I made him in the bit or whatever. But I think I used like some, some of that, some of that old joke that I used to do that it never really was. It's one of those jokes that you stopped doing for a good reason, you know, like it's like, doesn't get a good, really good reaction, but there's some, the, the truth in it was like, I think the joke was like, he's like, Hey, quit throwing that baseball around and go outside and beat up your little brother. You know, like it's just like something about, uh, cops cops being coming from that sort of environment where they're just like from an abusive young older brother or something. And we, and there's also another, there was this guy that we went to high school with um, his older brother was a police officer and he would, he would drive people around when he was drunk. He would just be like, I'm drunk. I'm cool. I'll do it. And then whenever he'd get pulled over, he'd give his license to the cop and then his brother's card and basically they, that cop would just call his brother and his brother would come and get him and bail him out of whatever situation that he had. So there's like situations like that, that I grew up around or like knew of that kind of definitely go into the, the writing of that, of knowing that like there, there are situations like this where people have, have their get out of jail free cards. Like, and I, I don't know how, how, much that happens anymore. This is like something, you know, this is something from 15, 20 years ago. So I don't know if you can, if there's places where you can get pulled over and just like give them your, your card and they're like, okay, you're good. Yeah. I'm that, sure. It, it's fine. That was my, uh, that was sort of my dad's response when I told him, he was like, oh, man, when I was your age, if I would have gotten pulled over right outside my house, the cops would have let me go. They would have given me a ride home. Or, yeah. Know. So that, that, that's funny. Uh, my, my son's a state trooper. It's it's funny you, that you can take older jokes that worked and then kind of take a couple of elements from that, those bits and apply them to current bits. And all of a sudden it's just like, 
you've revitalized an old bit in a, in a new way. That's so, that's such a cool tool to use. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually, I was going to show, I brought this to show you guys too. This is how, just to tell you about my writing process. This is my, this is my, my box of basically it's got all these stickers from comedy and all this stuff all on it. And then what it is, is uh, it's all my set lists. Like just from this one starts, there's 2020 and it goes all the way back to Seymour, Indiana, January 13th, 2017, Tabari McCoy and Cam O'Connor. And I write down like, like who was on the set with me and then the whole set. And I keep all my, this is how I do all my writing. And I is not all my writing, but like all my performance writing. Like, so whenever I have a, have a show, it goes into that box. And if I have, say I was, uh, say I was in Cleveland two years ago at this club, I'll go back into the box. I'll go and look at what I did last time I was there, start writing out my set list for what I'm doing this time and try not to make it exactly the same as what I was doing before. So, uh, that's a lot of that whole process is that's, that's my, that's a lot of my writing process is the, the performance and the, I keep all, I mean, it's, it's open mic, open mic, show, show. The show that's cool, goes man. In there. You know, what's interesting is I have a, I, I do the same thing, except I don't log it like that, which is you have a very nice organized method. I just have a bag full of set lists, bag full of set lists. from like, they're very distinct looking. They're on like receipts. They're on little torn up pieces of paper, but they are distinct sets. I had at certain places, which aren't labeled, but at least I have them all and I keep them because I can review them, you know? So yeah. that's cool. It's uh mine's yeah. Mine's so mine's very like, but like anal retentive, like eight by 10 folded <laughs> four times. So it's like the same size. So it fits in nicely. And if there's, if I have to, like, if I, if I'm somewhere and I use like a little receipt or something, I like copy it down afterwards onto like the right piece of paper or something. So it's uh that's my, that's definitely my process for keeping set lists. And I think I got that from Jerry Seinfeld's comedian, the documentary when he, and he just, he just had crib notes that he would write down and he was, the whole documentary is about him trashing his, his act and then doing a whole new hour and building that hour. And then it had Orny Adams is like the, the, the kind of juxtaposition to him and Orny Adams had stuff like this, like this big box full of like all these, all these Joe, Oh, I got jokes. I got all my, you, what jo uh, we got drink, uh, getting arrested jokes. Yeah. I got all those right here. Here are all my getting arrested jokes or he like categorizes them all like that. So mm. I definitely, I definitely consolidated all of my topics over the years because at first you're like, nothing is cohesive. But then over the years, things cluster into big topics. And then, then I create bits out of one-liners. And it sounds like they're still one-liners, but they're all interrelated. So they still make a bit too. So Yeah. I, I definitely do the same thing with the chunks. And like I'll have five-minute chunks that I'll usually always do right together. And uh, yeah, that's that's it's a good way to to help me go through my process and it it also i'll sit down like 
an hour before my show or whatever, if I'm in a hotel room or at home and I'll, I'll write my set list. And that's like a big part of me getting ready for, for the show. And I don't necessarily stick to what I wrote down 100%. You know, I'll put a little arrow or mark something off or circle something. And sometimes I'll mark something off over and over again. And I'm like, what? Oh, it's because it's a bad joke or it's a hard joke to do, or it's difficult or something like that. You know, yeah. it'll remind me. Yeah, that's that's a great system. I I do um, digitally, so I I will take. I mean, I record all of my sets, so I put down the location and then just the just like one word for each bit that I did, so that next time I'm at that place, just like you, you know, I don't I don't want to tell the same joke twice. Or uh, if it if it was like new around the conception of that bit the last time I was there, and now it's a fully fledged bit, it's almost like look what I can do now. Yeah, that's great. Some, yeah, no, I have notebooks full of stuff. Like, this is the podcast specific notebook, but yeah. I've got like piles of notebooks going me, back to 2012. Me not repeating stuff is like a is like on a month scale, so it's not like I, I don't say for like, oh, I was here a year ago. I don't I don't want to do the same stuff. I'll just do like, was I doing this at the open mic last week? Okay, let me check that set. All right, completely rotate through new jokes, or I should say, jokes they haven't heard in at least a few months. That way, people aren't like not laughing at them at all, you know, if there's more comics there or whatnot. Um, but, you know, with, with showcases, it's different because if it's a fresh audience, do whatever you want, you know. So. Right. Actually, the album helped me realize how much of the, how much of some of my jokes that I, I won't do at an open mic because they're, they're kind of full flat, they're finished and I don't, I don't need to work on them at an open mic, but I realize after some comics like would, would say, oh man, I hadn't heard the, that full turtle bit until I listened to your album. And that's really, that's like a lot more than I, than I'd ever heard before or whatever. And I'm, I just realized I'm like, sometimes I'm not working on that joke because I don't want it to be like beaten into the ground, you know, and everybody's heard it every time. It's the yeah. same thing. Open mics is the same for me too. Like I got to make sure that I'm not doing my same old, like, you know, jokes that everybody knows when I'm going up to the open mic. But then sometimes, especially when we're going through what we're going through right now with the lockdown and you're not able to do your material as much, just sometimes you need to go up there and do some of your old jokes just so you can say them and, and do them correctly with the right, with the right cadence and everything too. So I'm trying to, and, and it helps your, it helps those jokes grow into something more mm -hmm. that, uh, that, that there, there might be just like a one-off joke. And um, I recently worked with, with Nikki Glazer here in town and she commented on one of my jokes. She's like, Oh, that one about tickling your daughter is really funny, but it's just the one line. She's like, there's so much more that you could, you could do with that. And I really was like, I'm like, yeah, well, what is it? What is it? What should I do? Like, yeah. um, I, I, I'm having trouble figuring it out too. But, yeah. but her saying that kind of gives me the idea that, okay, now I got to start doing this at open mics and maybe I'll come up with the, another line or another, something will come to me when I'm doing it, you know? Yeah. Th those are the kind of tags that I, that I give people. I'm like, Hey, explore this idea that I thought was funny. Like maybe you'll, maybe you'll find something that's more you than what I told you, but at least like, give you the the starting point of a fresh perspective on the bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think I've got something for that too, but I haven't 
I haven't been able to go out and do an open mic since then. So I'm kind of, you know, that anxious feeling when you're like, Ooh, I got, I, I think I got that line she was talking about. And now I want to, now I want to go out and perform it and see if, if it works. Like I think it, like I think it might, or I think it will, or like Nikki thought it would. No. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. If it doesn't work, you could just blame her. I just text her. I'm like, will you retweet this please? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need this. You don't understand. I need this. I opened for Dave Chappelle. <laughs> you know, rotating through stuff and, and like what you just said about adding stuff is I remember Mary Santora told me one time, she's like, she's like, you, you, you sometimes you do these bits and I won't ever hear them again. And I'm like wondering where they went. And I'm like, well, I rotate a lot, but I'm like, maybe I rotate too much or like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know. I just get too self-conscious about being repetitive because I hate that feeling of that disingenuous, like, Oh, clearly not thinking of this on the spot. Not that we don't all know that, but it just feels weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's as a comedian, what you just said right there totally speaks to me because we feel like, Oh no, I can't do that. But, but we don't understand that even other comedians that have heard it three or four times, they're like, they'll be like, I love that joke. That's my favorite (laughs) joke of yours. Like when you do it and you don't do it enough and you're (laughs) like, I do do it enough. I do. Yeah, that's, right. that's why I don't do it as much because you don't want to become the person that just does it the same thing every time. So, uh, mm-hmm. but there is a balance there and you're right. Like listen, mm-hmm. to, it's good to listen to people like Mary in that situation and like, be like, yeah, I should do that joke more, Mary. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks. absolutely. You can't laugh at that. All right. Uh, get to, to wrap this whole thing up uh, for anybody who, who gets, arrested uh if you could give them a a tool a little nugget of uh, perspective in that moment to kind of sum everything up to to really bring bring that moral of the story to light uh, what would you what would you say to them don't uh don't be ashamed of it uh I, that's what I, I i say embrace your mistakes that you've made in the past and that's the only way that you'll you're going to get past your mistakes and do better in the future is not by, you know, like denying or, or hiding or running from your past and the past mistakes that you've made, but instead, you know, embrace those mistakes and then use them as an example to other people of like, you know, what you, what you shouldn't do and what you, what you need to be careful of. And basically like if it was, Someone like me be like, uh, don't, yeah, maybe, maybe quit drinking when you're in your early twenties and that's when you need to do it because, uh, and especially comics, like try doing comic. If you're just drinking all the time or you need to have two drinks to go on, like wait, wait till till you get to that college gig that doesn't have a bar there and you can't get the two drinks, you know, or you're, you're trying out for last comic standing and they're not going to let you have two drinks in line while you're waiting to try out. You know, I remember I tried out with a buddy of mine in San Antonio and he had like a little water bottle full with vodka. And he's like, I need this. And I was uh, like, oh, that's a joke right there. Uh, <laughs> like like he, had to, he had to have a little sip of alcohol before he went on to audition for last comic standing. So it's kind of funny. So I'd say get, get past those crutches, uh, like anything that, that it is like has to do with, with drinking and alcohol and, and, uh, and then you won't get arrested as much. <laughs> like you know, all, all my arrest stories pretty much started with, with drugs and alcohol. So that's, mm. that's the best advice I could give is, is be, be, be careful with that. And, uh, and then if you do make mistakes, own them, 
be honest about it and uh, move forward and become a better person. Mm-hmm. It can be, it can be material. <laughs> let, and let the other guy drive, especially if he hasn't had anything to drink. Yes. Let him drive. <laughs> that's so funny to me that, that you were like, no, 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 I got this. I got this. And then that's the time when, yeah. Oh, yeah, gosh. yeah. It's like, yeah. I don't got this. I don't got this. Uh, that That's great advice. Um, there's a difference between punching down on yourself on the stuff that you've done and uh, joking about your own mistakes, but kind of using that as like a growth, uh, like a stepping stone, essentially. Like mm-hmm. that's how I look at a lot of the, the mistakes that I make. It's all, it's all opportunity for growth. Cool. Gabe, uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Where can we, yeah. uh, where can we find you? This is the part where you plug stuff. Uh, you can find me online, everything Gabe Kia on Instagram. I'm Abe Lincoln T-shirt. That's my handle on Instagram. My website, GabeKia.com, should be the first thing that comes up when you Google my name, K-E-A, G-A-B-E-K-E-A. And uh, yeah, buy my album or just stream it on Spotify. I've got some tracks that got picked up by Sirius XM, so that's good news. Super, super excited about that. Um, super excited about the album. It was so much hard work from so many, so many people in Cincinnati, from Chris Weir to Clinton, Clinton Jacob to uh, Ross Duncliffe to all so many people helped me mix the sound, do the artwork, come up with all the tags, write my own material, help me steal it from other comedians. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> thanks so tags, much, man. Yeah. Dumber, dumber than a fish tagged by Robert Hawkins. One of the best. Uh, that's his tag right there. Dumber than a fish. <laughs> one of the opening jokes in the album. So check out the album on all the formats and uh, that's it. Thank you so oh, yeah, much. Man. Absolutely. All right. man. Great meeting you. Yeah. Steve, Dave, thanks so much. Both mm-hmm. guys. Hey, thanks for thanks for being part of the show, man. Anytime you're up in Cleveland, holler at us. Oh yeah, man. I will for sure. So the next time you see those red and blue lights flashing in your rearview mirror, the next time they finally find that body in your backyard, remember that with a little bit of perspective, looking at it from in hindsight, in the re- through the rearview mirror, through the rearview, looking at it through the rearview mirror. With a little bit of perspective, as you're walking away in handcuffs, give that guy a little smile, because you can laugh at that. Special thanks to Gold Knox Studio. You can find Gold Knox Studio for all your podcasting needs at goldenoxstudio.com. Hit up Jeremy. He is fantastic to work with, professional. Uh, He makes podcasting easy. And uh, if you're if you've been kicking the tires on starting your own podcast, definitely give Golden Ox Studio a look. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at You Can't Laugh Pod, or like us on Facebook at You Can't Laugh at That, and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right, bye.